Hi, I'm Harriet Russell, Sectors Editor at the Investors Chronicle, and welcome to this edition of Boardroom Talk. Today, we're chatting to John Trahan, who helped found the Gym Group, which subsequently came to market in late 2015. There's been a flurry of excitement about the company's disruptive business model and potential for long-term growth. However, with analysts scaling back 2019 earnings forecasts, raising concerns about the level of return on capital employed and plenty of competition in the market, perhaps it's no surprise that the share price has struggled of late. Down 20% over the last 12 months and hovering close to its 195 pence IPO price, we're asking John why he thinks the stock still makes a good investment. So thank you, John, for taking part today. It's fair to say that history isn't necessarily on your side when it comes to businesses like these. Many listeners might remember several gym groups who quit the public markets in the early noughties, whilst others were snapped up by private equity for bargain prices following significant share price underperformance. In your mind, what's different about the fitness sector now compared to then? I think like a lot of low-cost businesses in other sectors, like low-cost airlines, hotels, retailers, our business is just completely different. I mean, let me give you one example. Um, If you look at a traditional health club, they spend 25 to 30% of turnover on staffing. Our equivalent percentage is 6%. And I think that's just one of a number of indicators of how different low-cost operators are. So would you say Tesco is the same as Little and Aldi? Would you say that you know, British Airways is the same as EasyJet? No, they're not. They're very different businesses, and we're no different. It's interesting when you say low-cost operator, because what sort of springs to mind for a lot of people when they think about the gym group is not just the costs that the company um, incurs, but also the cost that it's charging its customers to even use the facility. I mean, this is something that is really quite sort of pioneering for for the space as well, isn't it? This sort of 24-7 pay-as-you-go format that you've really sort of helped to engineer. Absolutely. I mean, there are three key aspects to the business. I mean, pricing is absolutely the major one. Um, So across the country, an average of £17 a month, which obviously compares incredibly favourably with the anything up to £200 a month in the traditional health club sector. But it's a lot more than that. Um, It's also about 24-7 operation. A lot of people think it's a marketing gimmick. It isn't. We're driving a new market. 30% of our members have never been in the gym in their lives before. And you're seeing this sort of expansion in the sector, more people using health clubs. The recent leisure database report that came out last week is showing increasing growth of activity. And most of that is being driven by low-cost gyms. It's interesting. I I had actually put this question last um, on my roster here, but I'm going to jump straight to it because this is something, obviously, I cover the entire retail sector and and parts of the leisure sector as well. And one of the big discussions I have with a lot of chief executives is how they avoid becoming um, sort of a victim of trends or fads. And one could easily argue that over the last five years, health and wellness has become a massive trend, particularly amongst millennial generations. How do you feel like that is going to play out long term? Is it something that you worry about sort of losing its shine? There's obviously been backlash against things like clean eating and what have you and sort of people feeling this this judgment against health and wellness as well. So how do you go about sort of making sure you're always at the top of the curve on that? 
I mean, there's nothing that we do that hasn't been around for a long time. I mean, I don't see it's a fad like, you know, potentially trampolining is. I mean, people have been running, walking, cycling for a long time. Um, yes, there are new, I mean, like any business, we need to grow with the market. Uh, we need to move with new innovation. But there is nothing we're doing that is sort of radically new. And, of course, the interest in the health sector is actually very real and very important. I mean, increasing levels of obesity and ill health in young people particularly is very worrying. Um, and I don't think that concern is just going to go away. And how do you feel we've, the fitness sector has obviously come a long way in that respect, but how about sort of stock markets as well? Because I think this is something I alluded to in the introduction to this podcast is that obviously we had a lot of companies like yours, LA Fitness, Fitness First, who were on the stock market and things didn't end so well for them. How has your experience been coming to the market and sort of starting to interact with investors and analysts all over again and getting them to re-believe in this kind of a story? I think, as we're doing, we need to continue to prove our point. We need to demonstrate what we've said that we're going to deliver. And, you know, we've now been on the market for a while, but we consistently deliver what we promise. And that's, you know, clearly a big focus for us. Um, so I think, you know, that that is a very sort of key part of, of the future for us is continuing to deliver, because I think that will allay a lot of the fears. I think it'll help the market to understand better that we just are a very different business. And we're seeing some real benefits from the IPO process. Um, I mean, obviously, as part of that, we, a lot of the money we raised has been used to pay down debt. So we have by far the strongest covenant in the sector. And that's helping us secure some of the best sites throughout the UK. So the interesting things, I mean, a lot of people say to me, in the early days, you must have had it easy, you took the low hanging fruit. Well, actually, and our recent results clearly show that we're showing just as good a return uh, from our recent openings as we did from the early sites. Mm, I mean, sites is something that I really want to get onto because obviously this was um, the downfall, not just of gym groups, but of many, many leisure groups um, throughout the first decade of the new millennium. Um, pub groups in particular got themselves very over leveraged. Um, looking through sort of the recent numbers that I had on you guys, it's, it says that you, you're hoping to open sort of between 15 and, and 20 gyms a year. Um, and that compares with 80 open units midway through last year. Um, but it seems like some of the analysts out there have some trepidation um m plus one singer which we've spoken about before they they did put out a note on you guys which sort of cited this anecdotal evidence of rents that were starting to sort of be bid up due to competition for these sorts of appropriate properties and obviously you have a potential cannibalization risk um in areas like leeds where there are a number of these sort of low-cost gyms um i think m plus one singer cited research that um the number of low-cost gyms there had doubled um since 2014 which is obviously not that long ago is a crowded marketplace obviously people like pure gym and, and what have you are, are operating in, in similar places is that is that something that you worry about 
Not particularly, because what we're seeing is the market growing significantly, partly because of increasing penetration, but also because the low-cost sector is attracting a lot more people to their gyms. Am I concerned about Leeds? Absolutely not. We've just opened one of our most successful openings in Leeds. So if it's really that much of a problem, it wouldn't be launching as well as it has. And we've just signed up on another very good property in Leeds that will be opening in the coming months. So, I mean, let let me give you a very good example. So McFit in Germany, who are the biggest operators, they have um, nearly 300 sites in Germany. Um, If you look at Berlin, which is similar size to Leeds, uh, when I did a lot of research in 2007, they had eight sites in Berlin. Today, they have over 30 successful sites. Um, you know, we have over 35 gyms within the M25. I mean, what we're seeing is significant growth potential. A lot of the research on the sector suggests there could be over a 1,000 low-cost gyms in the UK. At the moment, there are less than about, well, there are about 500 So we're seeing plenty of growth opportunity, and I really don't believe a big city like Leeds is anywhere near um, saturation. It's a good point. And I think um, when the brokers are looking at that potential sort of market doubling, they don't deny that. But what they are sort of getting at, um, particularly when they look at metrics like return on capital employed, I know that M plus one singer again has this forecast for you guys to go from around 9.5% this year, but by 2019, that that's dropped in, in their view. And, and they're sort of suggesting therefore that in terms of an investment, that's not a huge amount of real growth created beyond sort of the cost of capital. And certainly when the shares trade quite expensively, what would you say to that? Well, only time time will tell and and we will continue to produce the results we're doing. As I said earlier on, I think the very fact that we're showing consistent returns on capital amongst the gyms that we've opened over the last few years, and they're performing just as well, if not better, than the early sites, I think it's a really encouraging sign. And then I think you need to look internationally, as I say. I mean, look at America, look at mainland Europe, look at Germany, look at Scandinavia. If you look at a lot of Scandinavian countries, half of the people joining health clubs are joining low-cost gyms. That equivalent percentage in the UK at the moment is only 20%. So if we carry on delivering those trends, there is huge growth potential in this sector. And this might sound like a bit of an odd question, but what is it, do you think, that attracts people out of perhaps these um what has been a massive trend is obviously this what i call like bougie fitness so it's things like cycle and soul cycle and all of these rather fancy gyms that are expensive to join but as we've said as people put health and wellness almost to the top of their priority list it's almost something they're willing to spend a fair amount of their disposable income on so in your mind what is it about the low cost model that has the potential to perhaps tempt people in um and even persuade them that Actually, they don't need that sort of, um, I don't know what it might be, 80, 100 pound gym membership per month. Well, clearly affordability is a key factor. I mean, if you look at low cost airlines, I mean, why do more people fly today? It's simply because it's cheaper and easier to do so. And of course, that is another element that's fairly key to it is 
I mean, fundamentally, we're an internet business. We, we're not like the traditional health club market. You don't join our gyms by filling in a form. You go online. Over 90% of our members join online. So we're a very modern business um, and totally different to the health clubs of the 90s. This is um, something that feeds into my next question quite easily as well is that obviously you can get um, a certain as you say it's easy to join you can get a certain amount of revenue ticking probably quite quickly but analysts have also pointed to the fact that the business is fairly operationally geared as in sort of sensitive to movements in top line will generate sensitive movements in the bottom line is that something that you think will sort of help or hinder you in the future well fundamentally we are a low-cost business and we operate like it it sits right at the center of everything we do and of course one of the things we have demonstrated is our ability to drive cost out of the business so if you look at the early gyms we were spending about one and a half million developing every site today that figure is 1.35 so buying better buying gym equipment better buying lockers better uh, standardising what we do, we've been able to drive significant cost out. And of course, that bodes well for the future too, because as the only public company um, in the sector, um, that covenant strength is a huge advantage to us. I'm also interested, just from my own personal perspective, um, what sort of threat you see posed by big corporate employers. For instance, I'll use the FT here as an example, they heavily, heavily subsidise a gym for us, which would normally cost the average person on the street about £87, I think it is, a month to be a member at. And here we pay about 30 It comes out of our salary pre-tax. So it's, it's extremely affordable. They make it extremely affordable. And we are probably part of your target market as in a lot of people here are sort of young and they take fitness seriously they take health seriously and I'm sure many of them are not averse to paying less and less for gyms we always want to feel like we're getting a good deal so how do you feel about sort of big employers taking those big contracts with sort of more expensive gyms and and trying to capture or, or steal some part of that market share? I don't think it's a thing that concerns me particularly. Um, I mean, after all, your £30 a month is still double our average cost for a membership. Um, so, and, and most companies don't provide um, that sort of facility. I haven't seen your facility, but generally in my experience, they tend to be quite small compared with our gyms. So our gyms can be anything up to 20-odd thousand square foot with hundreds of pieces of gym equipment. It's a very high-caliber, high-tech environment. And there aren't that many companies that can afford to provide that sort of facility. It's interesting you mentioned earlier about the debt levels. This was something that I had picked out in one of my questions as well. It's it's impressively low post-float, particularly as a percentage of, of net assets. And uh, But there there is sort of this concern, not just for businesses like yours, but across the entire retail sector. I was actually talking to a company this morning about this very issue about rent commitments um, in businesses that obviously take on a lot of leases and how obviously those are going to have to come on balance sheet within the next year or so. Um, and whilst that might just be sort of an accounting change at the same time it is going to give investors and shareholders a lot more transparency about just how many commitments businesses have on that front do you feel like that is an environment which is getting more pressured or less pressured i'm particularly interested in this because you can almost read conflict 
conflicting reports day to day. One report will tell you that rents are on the way up because property is becoming more lucrative, particularly in city centres. Others will tell you that the rent is falling dramatically because landlords can't convince businesses, particularly pure retailers, general retailers, um, to bother to stay on the high street basically the footfall numbers are so depressing um, but yours is a business where obviously a physical site is 100% necessary so how do you go about sort of f- looking for those rental commitments and, and entering into new lease agreements? I think the key is the discipline our team have over the lease negotiations that we um, put together. So right from day one, we've had a very structured approach. We typically sign 15-year leases um, with five-year fixed uplifts. So I can tell you in our early sites and our current site exactly what rent we'll be paying in five years' time, in 10 years' time. And we believe that's really important. And again, it's one of the differentiators with the 90s the big problem that so many operators had was in year five, the rent went up so much that it made the business you know, quite marginal. Um, so we don't have that. We've also started from quite a low base. So if you look at the original business plan I put together, it assumed, for instance, within the M25 that we'd pay something like £15 a square foot. We're currently at about £11 a square foot, so we're still way away from the sort of original business plan that I put together in 2007. That's an interesting point, actually. It's 2007. There's been an absolute explosion. That's only 10 years ago. It's, it's a very fast-moving sector, and obviously you have some pretty key rivals in the space. Um, we could name them, but let's not. <laughs> um, but in terms of what we're talking about, seeking out sites and, and what have you, I mean, how how hard is it to secure the properties that you want when you know that you've got, okay, let's mention them, Pure Gym, Easy Gym, people like that, sort of I imagine, hot on your tail. Well, actually, the the reality is you've got two or three players dominating the sector. So a little bit like you see Premier Inn and um, Travel Lodge, you see Little and Aldi, you see EasyJet and Ryanair. That's what's happening in the local sector. If you look at the number of openings the majority of operators have achieved in the last 12 months, they've hardly moved at all. All the growth is coming from the big three. And then we have the best covenant strength. As you say, our debt levels are very low. Why would a landlord like Land Securities and others want to deal with anybody else but us? Because we offer a much better covenant yeah, it's, uh, it's it's an interesting point. Let's dig in finally, I think, to what the shares are actually demanding in terms of a rating. I did say in the introduction what sounds like quite sort of a bad picture, but actually they're still trading on a pretty punchy rating. Um, if, it's difficult to make comparisons because obviously a lot of your rivals aren't listed. Um, so it's difficult to kind of get into a price to earnings um, battle on that front. But across the leisure sector as a whole I mean I've covered it for the best part of five years now I would say it's a pretty punchy rating in in the most general sense so if you were sort of speaking as you are through the airwaves to a number of retail investors who are paying out of pocket for these shares I mean what do you think that that rating sort of offers them? I think the key to it is giving us 
true value for the growth that we're delivering and the consistency. I mean, again, it's something where this sector got it badly wrong in the 90s was discipline in growth. We're not interested in, in anything else but quality growth. So we have a very diligent process when we assess every single site. In fact, I was talking to our property director the other day and he told me that um, for every site we do, we turn 30 away. So, yes, we're very interested in growing. That's where we believe we will drive value. But we're not interested in you know, growth at any cost. Um, and certainly that's our major focus. So I think, you know, give us time. Let us show what we can deliver. And then I think we will see our rating improve. Yeah. And finally, then, I suppose this is a question about the market in general. We've said how quickly and rapidly it's changed over the last decade or so. But I'm interested, obviously, as most people listening to this podcast will be about where it's going. And I think people like EasyJet, as we've talked about, have been particularly good at not only sort of disrupting their relative sector, but then also adapting to it at the same time and constantly trying to have that first mover advantage it's a twofold question what do you think the gym group has to do to keep being the first mover and also is this a market that's actually quite ripe for consolidation perhaps as you say there are a couple of dominant rivals in the space and whilst the cma might have (laughs) a different approach to it it's something that i think is is still a, a valid question in terms of whether that could be something down the line that you think about again I, th- I think, you know, consolidation, of course, could be of interest. Um, I mean, about 25% of the market are independents, and actually about 10% of our estate are uh, acquisition of existing gyms that we've converted to our concept. So I see ourselves continue to do that. But at the same time, while we can, I mean, one of the real benefits of our concept is the fact we don't need a specific building. We can convert nightclubs, casinos, retail space, um, office space, for instance. Uh, We've recently done a number of um, partial conversions of a Sainsbury's store, uh, which has been extremely successful. So, That is a clear demonstration of our flexibility in terms of use of space. And we're seeing plenty of opportunity there. So while we can continue to show such high returns, paying a premium to acquire other businesses isn't particularly attractive. But inevitably, over time, that may change. And how do you feel like the general consumer picture is? I mean, this is something that perhaps affects general retailers more sharply than than businesses like yours. But ultimately, even in a low cost model, you're still asking people to give over some of their disposable incomes. And obviously, the, the whole narrative at the moment in the broadsheets is around inflationary pressure and how wage growth probably won't keep pace with that it's difficult to really have a magic eight ball on on that front but in terms of asking people for their hard-earned money do you think that consumers are still buoyant enough in this current sort of strange economy that we've experienced post post referendum i mean we started our business at the start of a major recessionary period and of course that is one of the attractions of low cost that i think we will continue to see I mean, though we attract a lot of new members, as I said, over 30% of our members are first-timers. Nevertheless, a lot of our membership comes from higher-price competition. And I think in a recessionary market, you will just see that continue. 
I think the really encouraging thing is as the economic climate improves, we don't see them moving back. And we've seen no evidence of that at all. So I think, again, it's a bit like you know flying with EasyJet. It's a perfectly acceptable thing to do. And I'm sure EasyJet don't see a lot of people returning to British Airways. Well, that might be questionable after my EasyJet experience last week, but that's a story for another time. Thank you so much, John, for joining me today. That's been a really interesting discussion and hopefully the readers will will get a lot out of it. Until next time, that's the end of this edition of Boredom Talk. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 